go before the Lord. Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you, Lord, and we ask that you would be our teacher this morning. The Lord, that by the power of your Spirit, that you would just minister to our hearts, that we would be receptive to your Word. And we thank you, Lord, that it is a living, breathing Word of God. It's not an old, antiquated book, but Lord, that it ministers to our hearts today. May we be receptive to hear from you. And Lord, we love you and we praise you, Lord. We pray that you alone would be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said... Amen. As we're going through the Gospels, we've talked about the specifics of each of the Gospels, and we talked about the fact that the Gospel of John, the emphasis of it is the deity of Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ is God. And we saw in the first two chapters that Jesus Christ is the Word, that He is the Word, that, you know what, he always, and that He is the Creator, that He always has been and that He always will be. He's not a created being, He is the Creator, that He's the light of the world, that He's the Lamb of God, and He's the Son of God. We saw him perform his first miracle, turning water into wine at a wedding. And then we saw that, that he uh, cleansed the temple. Remember, the first time he goes into Jerusalem, he brings a whip of cords and he drove the people out because they turned his father's house into a den of thieves. Then last week, we got to chapter 3 and we began to look at what I titled the missing link. And we looked at a man by the name of Nicodemus and then we also looked at the woman at the well. And we saw how Nicodemus was one of the most religious men of the day. He was a spiritual leader of the day. Jesus even said to him, you being the ruler of the Jews. So he was a part of the Sanhedrin. He was one of these most religious men. And you know what? He still, when he came to Jesus, Jesus didn't say, you know what? You're a religious guy. You keep the law. Just keep doing what you're doing. He told him, you must be born again. And whether we're, we, we may think that we're a pretty good person and we do great things, or we may have been going to church since we were you know, a baby, and we may have been baptized when we were kids, or all those kinds of things, we may keep the rules and the rituals, but just like Nicodemus, we must be born again. And then last week we saw a contrast. We went from a very righteous man to a very, from the world's perspective, immoral woman. And we saw the story of the woman at the well. Now this woman, we know that when, she went out at noontime to fetch water, and I believe it's because of the ridicule of the other women. Most women would go out early in the morning before the heat came. And she went out in the middle of the day to fetch water. And the reason that she did, as we later found out, that she had been married five times. She was now living with a man who was not her husband. And no doubt she was going just to avoid the ridicule of the other women. But the good news is that Jesus had a divine appointment to come to Samaria. And we know that the Lord met her there. And it's interesting because most Jews steered clear of Samaria. They considered Samaria a dirty place. And they considered a need, they would need to be cleansed if they walked through Samaria. And the Lord went there specifically to minister to this one woman. And even though from the world's perspective she was extremely immoral, and, and from the world's perspective maybe you know, it would be you know, the exact opposite of Nicodemus, the need was the same. Just like Nicodemus needed to be born again, this woman was in need of living water. And the good news is that where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. And our God is a faithful and a loving and a righteous God who loves us all. And He suffered and died that we might have eternal life. And there's no sin that we can do where He won't forgive us. He loves us. He draws us unto Himself. He'd rather die than live without you. That's the God that we serve. And so we saw that contrast between Nicodemus and the woman at the well. And we saw that in both cases, the need was the same. And the need is Jesus Christ. So this morning, we come to a point where we're going we're to move on from there. And we're going to pick up in verse 31 of chapter 4. And we saw last week, it was interesting that that this woman, when, when she saw Jesus, we saw this transformation in her. She initially referred to him as rabbi and was questioning why he would even be in Samaria. Then she called him sir. Then she called him prophet. But ultimately she called him Christ. 
And you know what? That's what happens in the lives of many people today. They look at Jesus as just a good teacher, just a good man, but that's not enough. Then others began to have respect for him and maybe think of him the way she did when she called him sir. Some may even refer to him as a prophet, as she did. But you know what? That's not enough either because he's not one of many prophets. He is the son of the living God. He is the only way, the only truth, and the only life. And only through him can we be saved. And so we saw just the transformation in her life. And this morning we're going to see a contrast between the physically focused disciples and the spiritual boldness of the Samaritan woman as she went away. The way we ended the chapter last week, remember that she had her water pot and when the Lord told her all about herself, she said, Sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. And duh, you know, he tells all about your life. I'd be, that's where I'd be, right? And then she says, I perceive that you're a prophet. And then she starts to talk to him about the Christ. And he says, I am he. And we talked about the fact that that was the same word, I am, that he used in the burning bush, that God used in the burning bush. And that's who Jesus is. And that's who God is. He's the great I am. Amen? And so we see here that the woman went away. She dropped her pot. She left that water pot. The thing that she had come out for that had been valuable to her, she dropped it and she ran back into the city to tell all the people to come and meet Jesus. Even though this woman had just met him herself, she was an instant evangelist. She instantly became someone who said, come and see. And I want to, we're going to look at the contrast between her and the disciples this morning. And then we're going to look at the nobleman. And we're going to just see the transforming of his faith. From crisis faith to confident faith to confirmed faith to ultimately contagious faith. And again, faith is only, can only be as viable as the thing we place our faith in. You know, a lot of people out there have faith in faith. We don't have faith in faith. Amen? Not faith. And that's not what I'm talking about. Not you moving it and making it happen by your urging and your heart. Because that's not it. We have faith in Christ. Amen? And only the object that we place our faith in can determine what our faith is able to do in our lives. So our faith is in Christ. So we saw the woman at the well. She left her water pot. She went and said, told all the people, and she brought the people out to meet Jesus. So let's pick up in verse 31 as we continue on in the story of chapter 4. And we're going to see the physically focused disciples. Verse 31. In the meantime, his disciples urged him, saying, Rabbi, eat. Now remember when Jesus was at the well, it said that he was weary. And it was in the heat of the day. And his disciples went into Sychar, into the Samaritan city, to buy food and bring it out so that they might eat. And when they come back out, having accomplished their task, they bring the food out and they sit down and begin to eat. And the Lord's not eating with them. And they turn to the Lord and they urge him and say, Rabbi, or teacher, eat. Now, it's interesting to me that the disciples had gone into to do some grocery shopping, basically, and to get some food. And they came back and they called him rabbi. And the woman had left and she was saying, is this the Christ? And the disciples come back and they're calling him teacher. It's, I believe that at this point, that they have even, she, she's got a greater understanding almost than even the disciples of who Jesus is. It's also interesting to me that they come back out and they bring what with them? They bring food. She comes back out, and what does she bring with her? People. And so often, as Christians, we can be so involved with the daily mundane things that we miss out on the divine appointments that God places in our path. And so they come back out with the food, and they say, Rabbi, eat. We want you to sit down with us and eat this food. Verse 32. But he said to them, I have food to eat of which you do not know. 
And the disciples, Jesus had been revived by the fruit and the spiritual blessing of his divine appointment with the woman at the well. Seeing her heart transformed, that was food to Jesus. There was nothing more important to him than to see lives change and transformed. There was nothing greater than to see someone who had been separated from the Father restored to a relationship with him. There was nothing that blessed his heart more, nothing that fed him more. You know, the Bible says in Job, we're to desire the word of God more than our necessary food. And you know what? Our Lord loved to see people's lives changed. And when her life was transformed, it ministered to his heart way more than any food ever could. Verse 33. Therefore his disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him anything to eat? He said, I have food of which you don't know about. They said, Did someone bring him food? Who brought him food? We went all the way in there and got the groceries. Did somebody come out here and bring him some food? It's interesting that... The same thing that happened to Nicodemus. Remember when Jesus said, you must be born again, what did Nicodemus say? Can I enter a second time into my mother's womb? Do you remember when he told the woman at the well about the living water? And she said, oh, give me that, that I may not have to come out here and draw anymore. You know, they both responded to him when he was speaking to them about spiritual things from a physical perspective. And he would say, well, Nicodemus, he, he was a very religious man, but he still didn't get it. The woman at the well, a very immoral woman from the world's perspective, didn't fully get it. But you know what? The disciples didn't fully get it yet either. And they come back and they say, he's talking to them about spiritual things, and they respond from a physical point of view. I want to encourage you with something. When you're going through trials and difficulty, start by looking at it from a spiritual perspective. Lord, why is it that I lost my job? What is it you want to teach me, and how do you want to use me to minister to the people around me? Why is it, Lord, that I have these health problems that I have? Why is it, Lord, that I'm going through these difficulties? And often when we look from a physical perspective, it's overwhelming. But when we look at it from an eternal perspective, and we realize that God is faithful, that He's sovereign, and that He's in control, we have peace. Amen? Nothing happens by chance in the kingdom of God. God doesn't fall asleep and miss out on your life for a half an hour. That never happens. He's, he's numbered the hairs on your head. He loves you guys so much. And we panic because we, get, we lose faith and we lose hope. And we look at things from a physical perspective rather than a spiritual one. And the disciples did the same thing. Who brought food out to him? Well, how, did, how was it that he ate? And he was talking to them not about physical things, but about spiritual things. So the disciples misunderstood Jesus. Same trap that the Samaritan woman and Nicodemus had fallen into because they viewed it from a physical point of view. Verse 34. Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of Him who sent me and to finish His work. Our Lord's desire and hunger was to do the will of the Father. Doing the Father's will fed Him and satisfied Him inwardly. And it was not a burden, but it was nourishment to His soul. Jesus' passion was for the lost. You know what, how can we call ourselves Christians if our passion was not the passion of our Savior? Every believer this side of heaven should be burdened about every unbeliever this side of hell. Amen? We should be broken for Santa Cruz County. We need to be praying that God would bring revival here. Santa Cruz means holy cross. And may God bring revival here. But it's got to start in each of our individual hearts. And God, for Jesus, the nourishment to his soul was doing the will of the Father. Nothing blessed him more. Better than a steak dinner. Better than fish. Better than pot roast at, at the Red Apple. One of my favorite meals, right? Better than anything we could ever eat. You know what? Being, being used by God nourishes us. And you know what? Is it, a, is it a burden to you guys to have a good meal? Is it a burden or is it a joy? 
I can look at some of you and I know it's a joy, right? Amen? I mean, we love to eat, and our Savior did too. But you know what? We should desire God's Word more than our necessary food. And we should be nourished spiritually even more than we're nourished physically. Because you know what? When we nourish ourselves physically, and God wants us to do that, and He said, rise, kill, and eat. Praise God for Acts chapter 10. Because I like four-footed dead animals. They're good, right? If you don't, God bless you. It's more for me. But here's the reality. You know, I love to eat, but the reality, I love more to see God move and to see God work. And you know what? It is nourishing to our hearts and to our souls. And so too should it be in doing the will of a father. Never a burden or a dreaded task, but nourishing to our hearts. You know, in 1992, I was blessed to go to Russia right after the wall came down. And I'll never forget One of the most emotional moments of my life was going into classrooms and seeing kids getting saved in droves. But what was really incredible to me was going to the Billy Graham crusade. Imagine having a Billy Graham crusade in Russia just after the walls have come down. Where they they had greeted kids every morning in class, good morning class, there is no God. And they said, no one's going to come to that crusade. We're driving around the bus, no one's going to come to that crusade. So many people came that they had to lock the doors, they put speakers outside, and the, the Olympic Stadium, for the first time since the Olympics, was full on the inside, and there were tens of thousands of people outside in the snow listening on speakers. And when they gave the altar call, people didn't walk to accept Christ, they ran. I'm sitting up top and I'm weeping, and I'll tell you what, that nourished my soul way more than pot roast at the Red Apple. That nourished my soul more than anything, just to see God. And when I, as a youth pastor, when I had a chance to see kids come to know Christ, kids that maybe we've been praying for for years, I've been praying with their parents, we go up to camp and a kid comes forward and they give their life to the Lord and there's true repentance and you baptize those kids, that is nourishing to your soul. And you know what? Food, any food this world has to offer pales in comparison. The last thing you're even thinking about is feeding yourself physically when you see God move so mightily in a spiritual way. And that's where Jesus was. He had been doing the will of the Father. That was nourishment to Him. That was food to Him. That was a blessing to Him. And they come out and they're making sandwiches. Samaritan sandwiches or whatever it is. And they're making food. And you know, again... Praise God, but the reality is that these guys have been looking from a physical point of view and they had missed it. You know what? May we not be so consumed with doing the daily stuff that we miss the divine appointments. Amen? Divine appointments come into our path every single day and they missed it because of their focus on the physical. Verse 35. Do you not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white for the harvest. Now, harvest time was four months away. But the Lord, again, trying to get them off the physical eyes and put them on spiritual eyes, says, I want you to see this from a spiritual perspective. And what was coming out to him were all of the Samaritan men, the Samaritan people who the woman at the well had ministered to, and they were coming out in a crowd toward the Lord and toward his disciples. And he said, you say the harvest is four months away, I want you to look up. White is the harvest. I saw where some said that maybe they were wearing white turbans on their head, I don't know. But the reality is that they were coming out in droves, and white was the harvest. Harvest time was ready. And they looked up and saw this crowd coming. And you know what? Harvest time is now. It's not later, it's not down the road. The harvest is ready, and all that is needed is faithful workers. You know what? 
There's an old saying, you make hay while the sun's shining. We need to be sharing the love of God while we can. We don't have a promise of tomorrow. Amen? Is there anything else that needs to happen for the Lord to come back? The answer is no. Could He come back this afternoon? Absolutely. If we knew we only had 24 hours left to serve God, would we live it any differently than we're planning on living it? The answer is absolutely. May we have an urgency for the lost and a burden for those who don't know the Lord. And notice, I want you to see this, who it was that the, the witnesses, who they witnessed to. Because the Samaritans, as we talked about last week, were the people that were ignored. They were the people that were the, the dirty half-breeds from the Jews' perspective. They were half Jew and half Gentile. The Samaritans viewed them as dogs. They didn't care about them. And do you notice that the harvest is full of those people? And you know what? I thought about that as I was studying late, early this morning. And I thought about the fact that the people that people look on with disgust quite often are the people that God is doing the greatest revival in. Whether it's the homeless people or the, the drug addicts, the AIDS patients, the hateful neighbor down the street that nobody wants to talk to and is ignored, the, that immoral co-worker, the cruel boss, the runaway team. It's, it's sad to me that for some reason when it comes to witnessing for Christ, it's always the wrong time in the wrong place. We always think, oh, well, I'll, I'll talk to him later. You know, maybe tomorrow, maybe next week. You know, we don't have the promise of tomorrow. You know, I had a guy, a co-worker up in Seattle that I worked with that I talked to about the Lord many times. And we had set up a lunch time to go and I was going to share the gospel with this guy for the first time. And the day before our lunch, or not long before our lunch, he was killed in a car accident. And you know that that has gripped me ever since. God has used that in my life ever since. That there's no promise that when we get that opportunity, we need to share our faith. And I want to say this. Witnessing is not something that we do on a special given night or something that we do on a missions trip. Witnesses is who we are. Witnessing is not something that we do. Amen? Now, if, we want, if you feel called to go downtown and witness, that's wonderful. But you know what? We need to be witnessing to people in the grocery store and in our neighborhood and in the workplace because that's where we are most of the time. Amen? And those divine appointments are coming every single day. And we need to pray to be sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit. Look up for the harvest is ready. It's time. It's, the, the field is white for the harvest. There's so many people in Santa Cruz County that need to hear about the love of God and many who are hurting and many from the world's perspective who are forgotten. You know what? Calvary Chapel Santa Cruz, since we started a little over two years ago, our whole focus has been one thing, to preach the word and to love the people. And it's love all of the people. Amen? We're not trying to reach just the upperly mobile and affluent. Enough churches trying to do that. I want every person that walks in that door to feel loved. And that's only going to happen if you guys are reflecting the love of Almighty God. And you guys do a great job of that. That's the number one thing I hear. People call me up and say, hey, I was visiting your church, and I just want you to know, man, you guys love each other. Well, we ought to. The Bible says they shall know us by the love we have one for another. Amen? And we need to reach out to those who are hurting, those who no one else wants to minister to. And Jesus is placing the, the, the focus on the harvest before them, off the groceries and on the people. Amen? It's not about the grocery shopping you guys did. And, and again, there's necessary things that we need to do. But you were in that city, and you didn't tell one person about me. And the woman at the well, who this immoral woman, who, who had reasons to fear even talking to men, went in and brought the whole city back. Which one was doing the will of the Father? And so often we can get caught up in just the daily mundane things. Verse 36. And he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life, that both... 
that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. You know what's great about us sharing our faith and us being faithful? We're refreshed presently and we're rewarded eternally. We get refreshed here and now. You know what? And I know that you know this is true. And just bear witness with this. When you share your faith with somebody, doesn't it just bless your soul? Doesn't it just touch you in a deep way? You know why? Because it's eternal stuff. For that moment, we put everything else away that doesn't matter, and we're doing stuff that has an impact on eternity. It refreshes us here and now, and then it even says here that we'll be rewarded eternally. And I have to confess to you that I'm not all that, you know, just be honest. I don't think about getting eternal rewards very much, but I know when I get to heaven, it will matter to me. But right now, I'm just, I'm just so in love with the Lord, and I'm so blessed that I get to do the things that I do, that I just counted a privilege to be His child, to be able to serve Him and to know Him and to have a relationship with Him. And I'm not going to serve God with the motive of trying to get a reward later. But the reality is that God loves me, He died for me, He saved me, and then He gives me gifts, and then when I use the gifts that He gave me, He's going to reward me. What an awesome God that we serve. Amen? And so it refreshes us presently, And it rewards us eternally. We're not just sowing among, again, a select group, but reaching out to all because the Lord desires that none should perish, no, not one. Verse 37. For in this the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that which you have not labored. Others have labored and you entered into their labors. You know, here's the good news. Sowers and reapers both rejoice and are rewarded together. The Bible says that some plant, some water, and some reap a harvest. You know, some plant, you, get, you share the Word of God. You know what, when we get to heaven, I believe we're going to be blown away at the way God used some of our conversations that we had no idea. You share the, the Word with somebody, and it seems to be falling on deaf ears, and you walk away, and it may be weeks or months or years later that God brings someone else into their path, and they may share something else and water that, that seed that you've planted in their heart, and they still may not accept the Lord, and some more time may go by, and eventually there may be that day when they give their life to the Lord. I'll never forget a girl in our youth group down in Southern California who, for a couple years, came, came to youth group and sat in the very back row and had a total attitude. Arms crossed, Pastor Dave, you're, I don't know what's up with you, man, but I ain't listening to none of this. And I thought, boy, that is a hard case. And then when she was 15 years old, she ran away from home, and her parents looked for her, and they hadn't found her. She'd been gone like seven or eight months. They hadn't found her. Middle of the night, I get a phone call at home. And I pick up the phone, and it's this girl. Her name was Summer. And Summer says to me, Pastor Dave, it's Summer. I'm, Summer, where are you? Well, I'm in, I'm in South Central Los Angeles. I'm in a phone booth, and I've been living in a house with this guy, and we've been doing drugs, and I'm eight months pregnant. And I just remember you saying that you can take a million steps away from God, and it's only one step back. Is that really true? This girl I thought never listened. That she said, and she started quoting verses to me. You know, remember I used to always say this, and I always say this, and I always say this. Can you come pick me up and take me home? Got in my car and drove down in the middle of the night, found her, and took her home to her parents. And you know what? God just encouraged me that God's word never returns void. And the reward for planting that seed and those who water and those who reap the harvest is the same. God just wants us to share. The Holy Spirit is the one who draws people unto Himself. Amen? You cannot save anybody with your convincing argument. You can't do it. But what you can do is be obedient to share the love of God and then watch God work 
And that's what the Lord is telling them here, that some reap and some harvest, and the reward is the same. And I want to say this, God's harvest is not a competition. Amen? We talked about this last week. My passion is not to grow Calvary Chapel of Santa Cruz. My passion is to grow the kingdom of God. And you know what? I don't care what, which lifeboat they're in, just as long as they get to the shore. Amen? I don't care if they're, you know, as long as they're going to church where the Word of God's being taught, if they choose to come here, that's wonderful. If not, that's okay too. Because there's only one church. And it's not this church. There's one church. And we're all a part of it. And it's not a competition. It's not us writing down numbers of how many people we led to the Lord. That's not it at all. Let's just be faithful and love the, God, love the Lord and obey Him and honor Him and serve Him and let God bring the fruit. And He always will. It is interesting to me, though, that when we teach the Word and love the people, that the church always grows. And it grows, why? Not because of men, but because God is faithful to His Word. And we must be sensitive to those divine appointments. You know, it says in Proverbs, he who wins souls is wise. In Daniel chapter 12, it says, those who turn many to righteousness will shine like the stars forever. It's harvest time, you guys. Look up for, your, for the, the harvest is, is ripe. It's time for us to be faithful. Now look at the difference between the, the apostles who come, you know, bringing the groceries. And look at this woman in verse 39. And many of the Samaritans of the city believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified, he told me all that I ever did. Now, I find this incredible that how long has this woman known Jesus? How long was her conversation? You know, we don't know for sure. 20 minutes, 30 minutes? An hour. She, know, she met the Lord. She ran in and immediately had a testimony. She didn't say, well, I've got to go to a 47-week witnessing class, and once I've memorized the Bible forward and backward, and I know all the Greek and the Hebrew, then maybe I can share my faith, because someone might ask me a question, I won't have the answer. Here's the reality. If you've been born again, if you used to be dead in your trespasses and sins, and now you're alive in Christ, you have a testimony. Amen? And you can share everybody. Look... I'm not a Bible scholar. I haven't memorized the whole Bible. Even though the Bible says, study to show yourself approved, a workman who need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. We need to be people of the word. But if you don't know it real well yet, don't wait until you know it. I'll be honest with you. I've been a pastor, I don't know, 15 years now. I still don't know the word. The more that I study the word, the more I realize how little I know. I need to study it more. The Bible is such an awesome, incredible, and deep book. And you know what? The more we spend in this word, the more equipped we'll be to share our faith. But you can share your faith. A friend of mine, Matt Valencia, told you the story maybe before. He's the pastor in Gilroy. And you know what's incredible? Is Matt got saved at camp during a, 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 a session. Turned around, his best friend wasn't there. He'd been saved a minute and a half. And he ran back to, to the uh, cabin, and his buddy was sleeping in the cabin. And he woke his buddy up, who had brought to camp and said, dude, I just gave my life to Jesus. Let me tell you what happened. And let me tell you what you need to do. And he led the guy to the Lord. He'd been a Christian four minutes and he's already leading somebody to Christ. And so often we think, well, I, you know, the pastors are supposed to... Let me ask you a question. How many of you guys, raise your hand if a pastor led you to the Lord? Oh man, praise the Lord that we're not waiting for pastors to do it. <laughs> I mean, three people in here going to heaven. That's not good. So praise the Lord that we each individually have a burden for the lost because, again, we don't wait for the professionals to do it. You know, we don't wait for the Billy Graham crusades to come. You know what? It's going to happen when we have a burden for the lost and we see that the field is ripe for the harvest and we start praying for our mission field by name. And we start praying for opportunities and we just share the simpl simplicity of the gospel. If nothing else, to be like Andrew and Philip and say, come and see. Could you, would you come and see? 
I want you to come and see what God's done in my life. Come and see all the things that I have learned. And that's what this woman said. Hadn't gone to seminary, no witnessing training. Just said, this, I want you to see this man who told me all, he ever, all I ever did. Could he be the Christ? So good. You know what? The reality is it's been said that we're the only Jesus some people will ever see. And, you know, the electric company doesn't put all the lights on one street corner. Because if they did, there'd be one really bright corner and the rest of the city would be pitch black. But they spread the lights out all over the city. And sometimes you might say, I'm the only Christian in my workplace. You're the light of that place. God puts you there to be salt and light of that place for a reason. It may provide for your family, but the number one reason that you're there is to illuminate that place with the truth of who Jesus Christ is. Amen? May we be salt and light to Santa Cruz County and wherever we work. Verse 40 and 41. So when the Samaritans had come to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days, and many believed because of his own word. Many believed because of her simple testimony, but many more believed because of his own word. Her testimony brought them to hear the word. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Romans 10, 17. That's like our theme verse for Calvary Chapel Santa Cruz. It's not all our cards and stuff. Because it's so true. And her testimony brought them and gave them a hunger to know more. What in the world happened to her? How did she change? She used to be afraid and hide from us because she was immoral. And now she comes boldly to us. What happened to her? And it brought them back to hear the word. And they grabbed hold of the Lord, and he stayed there for two days. And I would have loved to have been at that Bible study. Amen? Hanging out with Jesus for two days and having him teach us the word. And it says, and many came because of the word of the Lord. That's how people come to know Christ, through his word. God's word doesn't return void. Verse 42. Then they said to the woman, Now we believe not because of what you said, For we ourselves have heard him, and we know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. True salvation comes not from hearing about the Lord, but hearing from the Lord. Amen? Not hearing about him. Many people know about God. Knowing about God, that, oh, I know about God, that's great. That's not going to do anything. You need not to know about him, you need to have a relationship with him. Our witness must, our witness must bring people and point people to Jesus Christ. And I love this. It says, at the end of that, it says, Christ, the Savior of the world. These guys have been talking to the Lord for two days, and they have a better grasp than I believe the disciples do. He's the Savior of the whole world. Not the Savior of the Jews or the Savior of the Samaritans, but the Savior of the entire world. And that's who our God is. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. God sent out His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. Our God is a God of the whole world. Now it's interesting to me that in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, the Lord tells us to go out into Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts. As we follow these three conversations the Lord had, the first one in John chapter 2 was in Jerusalem. In John chapter 3, he was in Judea, and now he's in Samaria. You know what? The Lord didn't just tell us, he showed us. He gave us the example. And we see here, that's exactly what he did. They saved only, they'd only been saved a few days, but they had a missionary vision. Moving on to verse 43. Now we're going to see the transforming faith of the nobleman and the fruit that it produces. Verse 43. Now after two days, he departed from there and went to Galilee. For Jesus himself testified that a prophet has no honor in his own country. You know, this must have been tough. The Lord leaves a revival. He leaves Samaria, this place that the world thought was dirty, and people are coming to, know, coming to know him in droves. The men are coming out. It's an awesome and a mighty work. And now he returns home, returns back to Galilee, 
and people are looking for a sign. And you know, again, it was very difficult for me the first few times I went to Russia to come home because we saw God moving in such a mighty way. And then you come back here, you know, you can go in schools in Russia at the time and stand up and preach, and they bring the, all the kids in the auditorium and say, hey, pastor, how long would you like him? You want him all day? You can have him all day. Yeah, you want to, I'm going to tell them about the love of God. That'd be great. We're going to have an altar. Okay, great. We're going to be starting a church down the street. Wonderful. And then you go to our, our, our schools here and, you know, the, the land, one nation under God. And if you talk about Jesus Christ, they want to throw you out in the street. It's weak. What happened? And so coming home for me was a little bit hard because you just saw the move of God in such a mighty way. And here the Lord is, He's leaving this mighty receptive uh, work of His Holy Spirit and the people being receptive to His words. And they comes home knowing that all they're going to be looking for is a sign. And they come home, He comes home and they're looking for a sign. Now why did He go back to Galilee? Why did He return there? It's interesting that Isaiah, Isaiah's prophecy that's quoted in Matthew chapter 4, it said that Jesus must needs go there. And you know what? The Lord always fulfilled every Old Testament prophecy. He's the fulfillment of prophecy. And when we went through Matthew, we saw that very clearly. Matthew's emphasis is the gospel that emphasizes the fact that he is the Messiah, the fulfillment of prophecy. And so he went back there because it was the will of the Father. Verse 45. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans received him, having seen all the things he did in Jerusalem and at the feast, for they had also gone to the feast. Now he goes back basically, and we're going to see in the next verse, to Cana. And we remember in John chapter 2 that Canaan was where he performed the first miracle. He turned water into wine at a wedding. We talked about the significance of that miracle, that there is need for wine or the blood of Christ for there to be a wedding. Did a wedding yesterday. And the reality is that without the wine, there can be no wedding for us. Without the shed blood of Jesus Christ, we cannot be his bride. He's the groom, we're his bride. Only through his shed blood can we be married to him. And so there's water, at a wine, water into wine at a wedding. And now they go back, he goes back to Cana, and no doubt there are people there that maybe had heard about this miracle, or had heard about the miraculous things that he was doing, and they gather with the wrong um, desire, looking for him to do a wonder or to do a great work, wondering what he would show them. Verse 46. So Jesus again came again to Cana of Galilee, where he had made the water into wine. There was a certain nobleman whose son was sick at Capernaum. Now, a nobleman was a man of power, of stature, and of wealth. Now remember, we had, we had the religious leader in Nicodemus. This nobleman, more than likely, we don't know for sure, was probably a political leader, or a leader of some kind. He had position, he had power. All right? So you had a religious leader, and now you have potentially a political leader, and again, they all had the same problem. The religious man needed Jesus. And so does this nobleman, this man of power and wealth and stature from the world's perspective. But he has the same need. He was in need of restoration. Verse 47. When he heard that Jesus had come out of Judea into Galilee, he went to him and implored him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. Now this nobleman, again, no doubt heard things about Jesus, and he came roughly 20 to 25 miles. And he came to find the Lord, and he was desperate. All the man's money, all the man's power, all the man's stature was doing him no good when it came to his son being ill. And he came to a point of what I call crisis faith. There's a lot of people that don't even want to talk about God. It's been said there's no such thing as a drowning atheist, right? You know, someone's going down for the third time, and they're going to cry out to God. And the reality is there's many people that are like that, that they call out to God only when things get really, really difficult. I've had people tell me, you know what, man, 
you know, I just, the only time I seem to come to church is when things get really hard in my life, and, you know, things have been really hard lately. Maybe the Lord wants to see you, man. I mean, you know, here's the reality. Maybe God it, it just misses you. You know, you got this crisis faith. And this is the kind of faith this guy, man had. He came. He was at the end of himself. And you know what? When you come to the end of yourself, your wealth doesn't matter anymore. And your stature doesn't matter anymore. And your power and your position, it's all irrelevant now. You come to the end of yourself and you realize, I'm hopeless. And it was crisis faith. He was crying out, imploring him, begging him. Is another word for that. Please, would you come and heal my son? came to Jesus in desperation, crying out to this wandering rabbi, this man of stature and position and power. And again, when a man comes to the end of himself, often that's when he has no place else to look but to look up. Sorrow and tragedy will come to every man's house. The Bible says it rains on the just and the unjust. What are we going to do when that happens? Where are we going to look? We're going to get bitter at God or are we going to cry out to Him? Are we still going to have a love for Him? Is it going to draw us nearer to Him? And so this man cried out, We need to look to Jesus with spiritual eyes. Verse 48, we're almost done. Then Jesus said to him, Unless you people see signs and wonders, you will by no means believe. And I don't believe he's rebuking this man specifically, but everyone who was standing there, who had this attitude of seeing and then believing. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith is not seeing and then believing, it's believing and then seeing. Amen? It's having the peace that surpasses all understanding, not the peace that comes from understanding. It's saying, Lord, I trust you because you're God. And I believe your word. And you know what? My circumstances don't make sense, but I know that you're faithful. I know you're going to take care of me, and I trust you. That's faith. Faith is not, Lord, do all these things, and then I'll believe in you. You know, if an angel would come down from the sky and stand right here in front of me and tell me, then I would believe. Anybody heard that before, right? That's not faith. That's believing and then seeing. But he's saying you need to see and then believe. Verse 49. Then the nobleman said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. He's imploring him. It's Christ's faith. He's crying out. He's coming in this time of desperation. And again, today, that's the only time many people come to God. Verse 51. Then Jesus said to him, Go your way. Your son lives. Notice the desperation of the man, but notice how calm our God is. You know what? Remember when they went through the storm? What were the disciples doing out in the middle of the sea? They were all panicking. What was the Lord doing? He was napping. You guys remember that? And the reason they panicked is that their eyes were on the storm. If their eyes had been on the Messiah who said, get in the boat, we're going to the other side, they'd have been taking a nap too. Well, there's the Lord. He said, we're going to the other side. He's not worried about it. Why should I be? And yet we make the mistake and we get panicked and we get concerned and we start, you know, because we're looking at the storm. We need to be looking at the Messiah. We need to be looking at the Lord. And look how the Lord responds. The man is panicking. You've got to come. The Lord already knew he was going to heal him. Go your way, your son lives. God's in control. He's sovereign. And he used these circumstances in this man's life to bring him to a point of desperation where he would cry out to the Lord. If his son had never been sick, would he have been crying out? No. But because his son was sick, he cried out. And it brought him to Jesus. Amen? You know what? We need to pray prayers like, Lord, whatever you have to do in my life to draw me closer to you, bring it on. If you take all I have, I'll still have all I need. Amen? Whatever you need to do, Lord, I just want to be close to you. If there's things in my life that need to go, take them. 
Lord, I, wanna, I just want to know you. I want to know you better. I want to have that intimate relationship with you. So he's going to move from crisis faith to competent faith. Look what he says. So the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him, and he went his way. Well, praise the Lord. The man had crisis faith, but now it becomes confident faith because he believes him. He didn't say, are you sure? Could you? Well, you know, you need to come with me. It says he believed his word, and he went his way. He listened to the word that Jesus gave him, and he believed it. You know what? I love what Manny says. How many times does God have to tell me something before it's true? How many times does he have to tell me something before I believe him? Amen? Not 50 times or 1,000 times. Or, you know, even if I don't hear it, it's still true because God said it. Amen? But the first time I hear it, I ought to believe it. And this man heard it one time. Go, your son lives. And the man believed, and he went his way. His crisis faith became confident faith. Verse 51. And as he was now going down, his servants met him and told him, Your son lives. Then he inquired of them the hour when he got better. And they said to him, Yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. So the father knew it was at the same hour in which Jesus said to him, Your son lives. Now, it's interesting to me that he, he didn't get home till the next day. Now, 20 to 25 miles, I don't care if you're walking. It's not that far. That tells me that he truly believed the word of the Lord and he went home and took his time because he knew what he was going to find when he got there. That's faith. This nobleman had great, he started out with crisis faith. It went to confident faith. And now it's been confirmed faith. Now he gets home and your son lives. And when was it? It was the seventh hour. It was the exact moment when Jesus said he would be healed. Man, that's the God that we serve. He doesn't have, you know what? He can be on the 25 miles away and speak the word and people are healed. That's the God that we serve. You know what? Our God is, is omnipresent. He's at all places at all times. And praise the Lord for that. But look at this. I love this as we close. He goes from confident faith to confirm faith. And now watch this. I love this part. Contagious faith. Look at the second part of verse 53. And he himself believed and his whole household. You know what? That's the kind of faith we need to have. The kind of faith that not only allows us to walk in the fullness of his spirit and allows us to walk in obedience to his word but we are so in love with him and walking so closely to him that we have an impact on the people around us that out of our our, our innermost being flow torrents of rushing living water the holy spirit's flowing out of us as we minister to others and we just see this here that this man not only did he believe not only did he go from crisis faith to confident faith to confirm faith but now he had contagious faith and his whole family was saved i want to encourage you men be the spiritual leader in your house. The Bible says in Joshua, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You be the spiritual leader in your home. You pray. Get on your knees and pray for your family. Be, be a godly example to them. Cleanse your home of stuff that doesn't belong there that's going to stumble your children. Have a contagious faith. You as a family, be contagious in your neighborhood. Be contagious at work. When everybody else is moaning and complaining, you remember who's in control. When they come in and cut your commissions or you know, something happens at work and they cut down your hours and everybody else is whining, you just say, you know what? Jehovah Jireh, Lord God, our provider. God is in control and he's faithful and I have nothing to worry about. Amen? That's contagious faith. It's going to impact the people around you. And so in closing, verse 54, he said, this again is the second sign Jesus did when he came out of Judea into Galilee. So in review, what kind of faith do you have? Examine your own heart. Is it crisis faith? You only come to the Lord when things get tough? Things are tough. I better come. Oh, you know what? Things are getting difficult. I better go to church on Sunday. Do you have confident or confirmed faith? The word confirm means to know by experience. Not to know here, but to know here. Not to know about God, but to know Him. 
and to know and have seen him work in a mighty and a powerful way by the moving of his hand and his touch on your life and a faith that infects those around us, a contagious faith. May we be contagious. Does Santa Cruz County need people with contagious faith? Amen? You know, this is the light of mine. I'm going to let it shine. Amen? Hide it under a bush. Oh, no. I'm going to let it. You know, did you know that Tiffany yesterday, when she got married, she came down to the aisle to this is the light of mine. I kid you not. That's what I, it was awesome. I was digging it. We were just clapping this light of mine. And the Lord wants us to be salt and light to this place. And may we have an impact on Santa Cruz. May we pray for these people. May we not fall into the trap of the disciples so focused on the physical tasks of life that we miss the divine appointments that the worship team will come on up. May our lives be open to the harvest, responding in obedience to that still small voice of the Holy Spirit directing us to plant, to water, and to reap. You know, Lord, help us to be faithful. May you bring the mighty harvest of lost souls here in Santa Cruz County. And you know what? If you're here this morning, let me just say this. God brought you here this morning by divine appointment. Nothing happens by chance in the kingdom of God. And if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ, becoming a Christian is not joining a club or an organization it's not crawling 50 miles on your knees to Mecca to prove to God that you're willing to, you know, to be tortured so that He might love you. He loves you already. And the Bible says in Romans, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you will be saved to the glory of the Father. You're all sinners just like me, and we're in need of a Savior. Amen? And only one thing can restore sinful man back to holy God. It had to be a holy Savior. Buddha didn't die on the cross for your sins. Hare Krishna, Joseph Smith, Mary Baker Eddy, Charles Taze Russell, all these people that created these organizations that drive people away from the truth. There's only one truth, and it's Jesus Christ, Him crucified and risen from the dead. Buddha's dead, Hare Krishna's dead, Joseph Smith's dead, Mary Baker Eddy's dead. We can dig up their bones. But I've been, to, I've been to Israel, and I've seen the tomb, and guess what? He's not there. Amen? Tomb's empty. He's a risen and living Savior, and He desires to impact your life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you, Lord, that you are such a loving and a gracious God. And we thank you that you have risen and triumphed over sin and death. Lord, I pray that we would have contagious faith. And Lord, that we would look up and we would see that the harvest is ripe. And Father God, it's ready. And Lord, may we have an urgency to reach out to the people that are so in desperate need of you. Lord, I pray if there's anybody here this morning that doesn't know you, that by, not by the words of men, but by the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would open their eyes to their need for you. And I'm not going to take a real long time with this, but if you're here this morning, the Bible says if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father in heaven. It's just a simple prayer of saying, yes, I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. Lord, please forgive me. If you've never done that, I want to give you an opportunity to do that right now. Just raise your hand and I will pray with you. Is there anybody here at all? Just raise your hand and I will pray with you. Anybody. Lord, we do thank you, Lord. And I just pray for anybody here who does not know you, that, Father, by your Spirit, you would just draw them unto yourself. Lord, help us, Father God, to go from this place just contagious for you, loving on one another. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, let's stand and close the worship song.